East Africa's powerhouse is heading for the polls in 2017. Kenya faces an uphill struggle against corruption and the increasing threat from Al-Shabaab. Almost 10 years ago, a disputed election brought the country close to civil war and left over a 1,000 dead and hundreds of thousands homeless. My guest tonight thinks he was robbed of the presidency back then and believes that now is finally his time. A reformer and a champion of democracy for some. Democracy is expensive and we are prepared to pay the ultimate price. He's also seen as dangerous and divisive by others. Can the former prime minister now unite Kenya and move it beyond tribal and ethnic divides? I'm Mehdi Hassan, and I've come here to the Oxford Union to go head-to-head -head with iconic opposition leader Raila Odinga, who wants to be president of Kenya next year. I'll challenge him on whether he did enough to stop the violence in 2007, his record as prime minister, and how he'd tackle the threat from Al-Shabaab. Tonight, I'll also be joined by Agnes Gitau, an advisor on trade and investment for East Africa, based in London. Nick Cheeseman, Professor of African Politics at the Africa Studies Centre of Oxford University. And Parcelelo Kantai, a Kenyan investigative journalist and editor of The New African. gentlemen, please welcome Raila Odinga. Raila Odinga is the son of Kenya's first vice president and is the country's most high-profile opposition leader. He spent almost nine years in prison in the 80s fighting against one-party rule and was the country's prime minister till 2013. Thanks for joining me. Raila Odinga, three times you've run for president of Kenya three times you've lost. You're now running for a fourth time and you're already behind in the polls. Isn't it time maybe to get the hint from your fellow Kenyans that they don't want you as their president? I think the answer should be that uh, three times I've ran, two times I've won, and uh, I have been robbed two times. You have robbed two times. Yes. When were the two times you were robbed? In 2007 and 2013? 13, correct. Okay, well, let's talk about those very briefly. 2013, as you well know, most of the international monitors from the Carter Center, from the EU, from the Commonwealth, said you lost fair and square. In 2007, most people agree that there was vote rigging. It was a very dodgy election, to say the least. But of course, the independent commission that looked into the 07 election said that there was vote rigging on both sides. Aren't you just annoyed that you're not as good at vote rigging as your opponents? Uh, uh, I'm proud that I'm not as good at vote rigging. I don't but you think... tried. I don't Both think sides tried to rig that election. That That's what the Independent Commission said. Nothing could be further from the truth. We did not, in 2007, try to rig. And as you know, that there was um, an exit poll by the International Republican Institute, which was never published because of intervention of some other forces. But it showed very clearly that I won uh, fair and square. But you're saying people on your side in all these elections never cheat, it's only the other side that cheats. I'm saying that we, we never have any reason to cheat because we're always very confident that we're going to win. Well, maybe you should chat to one of your governors, James Ong Wai, who in 2013 was filmed handing out cash at election campaign rallies. 
Shouldn't uh, you have a chat with him about not needing to cheat? No, of course, uh, if that have happened... Uh, well, it did happen. I'm it's being, on video. I'm being told that uh, maybe he was giving money to his supporters. But um, uh, if it, it is true that he was trying to corrupt an electoral process, that, of course... Have you not asked him? Of course, I'm hearing it for the first time from you. You're hearing it for the first time? Yeah, no, no, no. You've never, never heard this it. allegation no, no, that no, one of your governors I've, I've hands out it. cash? I've never heard about that. So you're going to chat to him after this show is over, I'm sure? Yes, I will. OK. Um, you've said in the past uh, that you will boycott the elections next year if there isn't a reform of the Electoral Commission, the IEBC. Given that reform that you want hasn't yet happened, will you be boycotting next year's presidential election? No, we have not said we are going to be boycotting. We are saying that uh, we don't think that we can have free and fair elections with the Electoral Commission as currently constituted. And we are working towards reforming and that. And if it isn't reformed in time, will you boycott the presidential election? I don't think that it would, any serious person, any right-thinking person, would go into the gallows willingly. So we will not go into the gallows. If the Electoral Commission is not properly reformed, there would definitely be no reason for us to participate in the coming elections. After your party lost in 2007, there were, of course, violent protests across the country. There was a violent crackdown by the government. Thousands of Kenyans were killed, at least 40% of them by the police. Uh, hundreds of thousands displaced from their homes, looting, arson, rape, vandalism. You say you want to avoid violence in the future. Um, and yet in 2014, you claimed people were so angry with the current government that they were, quote, willing to take the bullet, and so were you. Your Nairobi chairman said last October, in 2017, we only have one bullet remaining. For Ryla to be president, a few people must die. How is that not incitement to violence ahead of an election? Uh, I think that he was completely misquoted. Uh, I saw the clip. He never said that a few people must die. He said that uh, if they try to rig again, you're not going to accept it. When you say not going to accept it, do you mean peacefully accept it or violently accept it? Demonstrations are basically allowed even by our constitution to protest if something is unfair. I think that this is what he had in mind. When you say, for example, to the New York Times in 2014 that you're willing to take a bullet, that kind of talk is not helpful, no, given what happened in Kenya in 2007. I think that is also a misrepresentation. You never say that you're prepared to take a bullet. You say that we will not accept this just lying down. New York Times says they asked you, were you willing to take a bullet? Mr Odinga tossed peanuts into his mouth and grunted yes. That's what the New York Times says. Taking a bullet basically means that, you, yes, you, you're prepared to, to be shot. In 2008, at the height of the, the violence, the protests, people were telling you to ask your supporters to calm down, to de-escalate, and you said, quote, I refuse to be asked to give the Kenyan people an anaesthetic so that they can be raped. Is that not a provocative remark in the middle of violence? It is not a provocative uh, uh, remark. People basically are protesting something that has been unfair. In, in, in other words, you basically tell the provocateur to stop his provocation. And you've referred to the government of the time, mm -hmm. uh, uh, the government of Kibaki, as provocateurs. You've pointed the finger at them for their violence. A lot of human rights groups agree with you that the government uh, carried out massive human rights abuses. And yet, a lot of those groups also point the finger at you and your party for your role, not just in uh, the mass action, but in inflaming the situation. No Ryla, no peace became a slogan across the country. Nearly a decade on, are you willing to take some responsibility for the death and destruction that happened in your country? You, see, you need to know that what happened in the country was all spontaneous. 
It was not, not planned. They were broadcasting the results live on all the three major channels of television. And they saw that I was leading the President Kibaki by over one million votes. When all of a sudden, the government ordered the, all the TV stations to stop live coverage. And then when eventually the Electoral Commission went and announced what everybody knew was a rigged result, the reaction was spontaneous. But what about your role in calming it down rather than exacerbating it? People were protesting. No Ryla, no peace. Doesn't sound like peaceful protest to me. Uh, no, but uh, the people were protesting what had, had, had happened. I understand, and everyone has a right to protest. But, but the violence. I don't Do you agree with Human Rights Watch, who said in January 08, we have evidence that ODM politicians, your party, and local leaders actively fomented post-election violence. In many communities, ODM mobilizers organized, directed, facilitated, violence unleashed by gangs. I, I totally disagree because the government did carry out investigations and people were arrested, people were taken to court and they well, were charged. Some people were referred to the International Criminal Court, as yes, you know. Because, uh, but, and you know the crimes against humanity yes. and yet the last two Kenyans who were still in front of the court uh, were recently, uh, the cases were dropped, uh, thrown out against William Ruto the Vice President of Kenya, former ally of yours, now an opponent. But here's the thing, the ICC ruled there was insufficient evidence against Ruto. It refused to acquit him. It, the presiding judge declared it a mistrial because of, quote, troubling incidents of witness interference and intolerable political meddling. And yet you went on Twitter and congratulated the Vice President for getting off scot-free. There are two things here. First, I said that he has been on trial for the last uh, seven years without peace, but he did not acquit himself. Well, he it, hasn't been acquitted. It, it, it is the, the court which, which, which released him. Yeah, but not acquitted and, him. And it is the, it's the court that I blamed. I said that it would have been better for Ruto to have gone through a, a full trial and then will be to discharge for lack of evidence. Hold on. Actually, in a recent interview with AFP, you said no African head of state now needs to fear being tried by the ICC because you can destroy the evidence. You can kill witnesses. The ICC was blackmailed by these Kenyan figures, you say. Certain, Which but, one is it? But the mistake is not the accused. The mistake is that of the court. The presiding judge says that there was interference in witnesses, uh, and that there was tampering, and, and, there was meddling. And, and, Do you I'm, agree with it? And I'm saying that, yes, that, that, that is correct because, as you remember, the AU was basically pressurized to threaten to pull out of, of ICC, uh, basically because of the Kenyan cases. There was an intolerable amount of interference by the Kenyan government. And so which is if which? you become president next year, will you take the Ruto case back there? Will you prosecute William Ruto for crimes against humanity? Why should I? Do you believe he committed crimes against humanity? William Ruto was a he member was your ally of, at the time. Of, of, yes, exactly. So you probably I, don't want to accuse I, him of crimes against no, no, humanity. No, because I, I, I see no evidence that he... You he see no evidence? Yes. So the, the case was all a sham trial. He no. should never have gone to the ICC. You see, it is like this. We, as ODM, were the first one to write to the ICC and the UN Security Council. Yes. Saying that the government was committing uh, genocide Agreed. against our people. And the ICC and didn't the, just indict the government, they indicted people from your side, now, so your plan backfired. The, 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 the PNU side of the government now then went and supposedly collected evidence against ODM supporters. So I've always said that we as ODM did not organize 
any kind of uh, uh, violence. Okay, uh, let's go to our panel who are waiting. Agnes Gitau is an advisor on trade and investment for East Africa, a regular commentator on African politics and economics. How much responsibility do you think uh, Raila Odinga and his party, the ODM, should take for the violence that tore apart Kenya almost a decade ago? Our politician must take accountability. And the two men the, that I hold responsible, and I speak on behalf of, of, of many Kenyans, Honorable Raila Odinga, who was the party leader for ODM, and former President Mwai Kibaki, these were the two names on the ballot paper. Kenyans were, were fighting because of a disputed election. So it was up to these two men to say to their followers, it stops now, not in my name. Had they done that? And my question perhaps to you, humbly, Honorable Raila, is there anything you could have done or could have said that could have saved 1,300 people? I wish I was able to do so. And First, look at the, the, the whole incident in context. There was no way that Kibaki could have defeated me. And people walked out of their homes and began demonstrating on the streets. Now, the, what, what happened was uh, that uh, the, there's an order by the government of shoot to kill. No they one is defending shooting. what the government did here. Yeah. I'm asking you, and she's asking you, do you have any regrets for your role in that violence? Yes or no? No, no regrets? No. Okay, let's go back to our panel. Uh, Pasalelo Kantai is a Kenyan investigative journalist, uh, editor of The New African, a former contributor to the Financial Times on these subjects. Uh, was Raila Odinga responsible in your view? What role did he play in that conflict from your perspective? Well, I think um, it's impossible for um, uh, Honourable Raila to um, avoid um, taking some amount of responsibility for the violence. But I think, as always happens with this debate, there is... Um, a, I think a tragic misreading of what actually happened. Um, the violence became the narrative, obscuring the fact that it was triggered by um, a highly, heavily disputed election, which, which was coming on the back of um, at least two years of agitation mm. for change, um, in which um, um, a large, large swathes of the country were deeply unhappy and felt deeply betrayed. What it had um, uh, created was um, a deeply ethnicized political establishment that was operating on the politics of exclusion and excluding most of the country. Let me bring in uh, Nick Cheeseman, who's Professor of African Politics at the Africa Studies Centre here at Oxford University. Nick, the Chief Justice of Kenya's Supreme Court, Willy Matunga, uh, warned last October that Kenya could be plunged back into ethnic uh, bloodshed if politicians don't stop, quote, beating the drums of violence. From your perspective, how concerned should we be, the world be, Kenyans be, about new, a new round of violence next year after the presidential election? I think we should be very concerned. There's a real possibility that we take our eye off the ball because the last election was peaceful. The number of things that happened in the last election, we saw Uhuru Kenyatta and William Ruto, two leaders who are said to have been responsible for some political violence in the past on the same side. We president saw- President and vice president. President and vice president. We saw high levels of security and the deployment of the security forces to many opposition areas. Many of these things may not be the same in future elections. And so to assume from a peaceful election in 2013 that the hurt and the pain of previous instances of injustice have gone away is a real misstep. What do you think Raila Odinga could do to prevent that violence from happening again? Is there anything he can do? I think one of the things that all of Kenyan's politicians need to do is to take a little bit more responsibility for what has happened in the past. I think that's the, that's the case for both those who have got off from the ICC process. I think also in the case 
of the former Prime Minister. And one of the things that I think is particularly on the Prime Minister, to former Prime Minister to do is to come up with a positive argument for why Kenyans should vote for him. In a sentence, what's a positive reason to vote for you next year? I would say that I represent change uh, as, as a movement that, that I lead here. And we've actually shown it during the last uh, coalition government. Everybody now agrees that the Grand Coalition Government is probably the best form of government Kenya has had. Quick question following off from what I asked the panel. How worried are you about a repeat of 2008-style violence next year? Certainly very worried, and that's the reason why I've said that we need to address uh, factors which may lead us to the state of violence that we witnessed in 2008. These include, for example, dealing with the issues of reforming the Electoral Commission, the issues of the, the security forces uh, and the, the judiciary, where we also have serious problems with regard to the Supreme Court. A lot of Kenyans say that one of the big issues for them when they're going to be voting next year is corruption. That's one of the big issues facing the country. Mm -hmm. A recent report by PricewaterhouseCoopers ranked Kenya as the third most corrupt country in the world in terms of economic crimes. It's estimated that the average urban Kenyan pays 16 bribes per month. I want to ask you this. Have you ever had to pay a bribe to get something done? <laughs> the question is, is, is when. It's, it's not if. Because, as you have rightly said, every Kenyan does it. Including the former Prime Minister has to, just to get certain things done bureaucratically. So, certainly. Um, not as a Prime Minister. <laughs> not as Prime Minister, but as a former Prime Minister. Even you've had to give a bribe. Wow. That's got to be a first for this show. Let me ask the reverse of that question. Uh, Have you been offered bribes? Um, of course, I've been offered bribes um, a number of times, and, and each time I've resisted uh, being bribed. You've, you've saved me my follow-up question. Um, you've said that there is no commitment to fight corruption by the Kenyatta government, the current Kenyan government, which allows the cancer of corruption to spread, you've said. Across the system, many would agree with you in your analysis of this government and the levels of corruption. The problem for you is that when you were in office under that grand coalition, the corruption situation wasn't that much better. It's been reported that nearly a third of the national budget may have gone missing every year through corruption while you were in office. As the well-known Kenyan corruption whistleblower John Githongo has put it, you can't say one side is more corrupt than the other in Kenya. All sides seem to have their snouts in the trough. All sides, Ryla. So, so, you know that I was influential in appointing Mr John Githongo into that position, that's what we call anti-corruption, sir. Uh, the thing is that when we came to government, we to a certain extent reduced the amount of corruption. Unfortunately, some of ourselves actually allowed themselves to get involved in this graft. So I'm, I'm saying that... Uh, you agree with John Githonga that all sides are on the take in Kenya? You accept your allies I, take I, bribes? I do accept. And steal money? And uh, I do accept. You remember when I was a minister, uh, prime minister, I suspended two ministers. One of your most loyal confidants, Sarah Elderkin, sent you an email in 2011 where she described the people around you, quote, playing major roles, people who are playing major roles who are irredeemably corrupt, she said. She talked about your office staff's blatant, well-known, all-over-town corruption. That's one of your closest friends, a woman who helped you write your memoir, yes. emailing you to say, Ryla, the people around you are all corrupt. 
and this was good because uh, she was basically blowing the whistle. And then you so sacked we, all those people the next I, day when I, you got I, the email, I, right? I, I sacked a number of them. Who did you sack? Quite, quite, quite a number. How, who suspended. did you sack? How, Mr. Many, Mr. how many sackings did you do? Uh, I, I did about three or four. On the basis of that email from Sarah Eldikin? Yes. Okay, so you took action, yes, you're saying. I did. And when was the last time a Kenyan politician went to prison for corruption? Um, uh, the, the, of course, there are some, uh, a, a few people who are charged, but most of the time... That's the people not an answer to my question. When was the last time a high-profile minister or politician was put behind bars specifically on corruption charges? No, I, I don't remember. Don't think there is one, that's I don't why. Remember. I don't remember. Let's go back to our panel. Um, Agnes, how would you assess uh, Raila Odinga and his party's record in government of tackling corruption in terms of next year's election and bringing in a change candidate. Honourable Raila, I would want to see what is that change. Constantly we are told by politicians, we are your change agents, but there is nothing tangible that you have given us as, so that we can appoint you as president. How are you going to tackle corruption? Right now, as you've heard, we are rated third in the world as, as the most corrupt country. I know you have exposed corruption, but that's not good enough. You have been in politics for 30 years, yet are your policies sustainable to fight okay. corruption? Corruption exists virtually in every country, even in this country, or the United States. The difference is what action is taken when those people are found. Will you and put secondly, people behind bars? We've just discussed issue. that there's no one behind bars. Certainly. In this country, there are people who go behind bars. Certainly. Certainly. You guarantee that. I, I okay, let's go that. back to the panel. Uh, Pasolello, uh, Raila Odinga talked about the coalition, the grand coalition that he was prime minister of, being the most successful government that Kenyans look back on in its history. Is that a fair assessment in your view? If there's one thing it will be remembered for, it's, it's, it's for the 2010 constitution and for delivering the 2010 constitution. There is the infrastructure to actually begin to um, detoxify Kenyan politics by um, devolving it, devolving power. Um, it is not as if people have not embraced the new constitution all around, but there still remains this feeling more than ever of, of um, division and exclusion. Nick Cheeseman, before I bring back Raila Odinga, he presents himself as the change candidate. Uh, is he a viable, non-corrupt change candidate that Kenya needs, in your view? I think he can be, but I think one of the things that many people would ask him is, you know, one of the things we want to see is a change in the way that government is done on a day-to-day -day basis. Is your own party run in the way that you would want the country to be run? One of the things people have said is that the internal party democracy within the ODM is as problematic, if not more problematic, than the internal party democracy within, for example, the ruling party. Do you want to respond to Nick? To, to the issue of constitutionalism, it was actually the duty of the current regime to implement it. Unfortunately, this government has done everything to undermine this new constitution. Next year you're running for president for a fourth time. If you lose, is there going to be number five? You're going to go for a fifth attempt? No, fifth time lucky? I've said also that I don't want to impose myself on the people, but I want to talk about next year. Okay. I don't want to speculate about the future. I don't know whether I'm going to be alive. Okay. <laughs> well, on, on that rather philosophical note, we will take a break. Uh, in part two of Head to Head, we'll be talking about the Kenya's war against Al-Shabaab, which was launched on Raila Odinga's watch in government. Join me after the break for Head to Head.
Welcome back to Head to Head on Al Jazeera English. My guest today is the former Prime Minister of Kenya, Raila Odinga, here in the Oxford Union. Uh, Raila, when you were Prime Minister back in 2011, Kenya went to war in Somalia to try and defeat Al-Shabaab. Um, you said, we will fight until the enemy is defeated. Uh, well, since then, the enemy hasn't been defeated. It's grown in size and scope. 90% uh, of all, uh, quote-unquote, terrorist attacks in Kenya since 2008 taking place after your country's Somalia offensive. Do you accept now that it was a mistake to go to war and that you've gotten bogged down in an unwinnable conflict? The Al-Shabaab were carrying out skirmishes, sporadic attacks, including kidnapping of people, Kenyans, and also tourists in our country. So it reached a stage when this was no longer tolerable. Uh, our economy was being weakened seriously. So in the Security Council, we took a decision to push back Al-Shabaab and secure the border. That's why we called it in Swahili Operation Linda Inchi, protect the country. But it didn't do what it said. It didn't protect no, the country. No, what, what happened, once we were in there, it then uh, became apparent from the security advice that unless the port of Kismayu was liberated, uh, the job that we had done would come to naught because Kismayu was the main supply point for the Al-Shabaab. We did ask for international support from the EU and the US, and that was not forthcoming. We liberated Kismayu single-handedly. We should then have come back and sealed our border as, as we, had, we had intended. But then we then allowed ourselves to move in and rehat our, our soldiers to join the Amazon forces. The African Union forces. The African Union forces. This, this was not, not, not contemplated. Okay, but because... that's not the reason why there are all these attacks inside of Kenya. You made this big military operation, not looking at what happened in other countries. You look at what the United States has done in Iraq, Afghanistan. You see the blowback. Today, a, a report in the Nation newspaper shows there were nine times more attacks, nine times more attacks in the four years after your military intervention than in the four years before your intervention. We should have withdrawn at that time and come and seal the border and protect our country, which was the original mission of our... our so, as process. president, would you withdraw all Kenyan forces from Somalia? What we are saying is this. It's not really a retreat or a withdrawal as such. What we are saying is that we pull back our soldiers so that we seal the border and give technical and strategic support to Amazon forces. And it seems like you just went in in a hurry with no exit strategy, no plan, no anticipation of the attacks that were going to come. I said that we went there, we called it Operation Linda Inchi, to protect the So you country. had an exit strategy at the time? Exactly. And so it just, it just saying, fell apart because of whose fault was it that it fell apart? The, 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 the regime of the day. And yet, yes. in January of this year, after 63 Kenyan soldiers were killed, you said we must stand together and take the battle to them. Doesn't sound like you're interested in pulling back or no, no. sealing your border. Sounds what, like you want to carry on fighting. If we are talking about this, we are talking not just us as Kenya, the whole of AU, because we are now in there. You don't just wake up tomorrow and, and say we are, we are pulling out. We say that we must have an exit strategy. This is what we have told the government. We have a clear exit strategy that as we move, who comes in to fill the vacuum? What kind of time scale is this exit strategy happening over? One, two years, that, that is up to the government. No, the, if you're president next year, what kind of time frame are we talking about? We would talk about one year or... Within one year of becoming president, you would want to execute an exit strategy? Yes. And 
would you be willing to enter into negotiations, peace talks with Al-Shabaab, even indirectly? You see, the, th the thing is that how do you negotiate with terrorists? That is a question. Well, every leader says that, but eventually ends up doing it. The United States yes, said that about the yes, Taliban, yes, yes, yes. and now they're talking to the Taliban in Afghanistan yes, 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 yes. indirectly. So uh, I'm, I'm trying to say that you need to, you need to look at the whole Somali strategy. Because up to now, we have been unable to develop a strong uh, uh, authority in Mogadishu, which can be able to, to take the responsibility of protecting the country. And you've always cast yourself as a protector of the poor, a defender of the downtrodden. But ever since the military intervention in, Somali, in Somalia, ethnic Somalis in Kenya, Muslims in Kenya, uh, have been unfairly targeted, harassed, arrested, say, human rights groups. Uh, has the war in Somalia fueled religious and ethnic tensions in Kenya? And doesn't that therefore make it a recruiting sergeant, a propaganda tool for al-Shabaab? I think that profiling is a very dangerous thing. And I think that, the, unfortunately, this is what has been the case, that uh, as al-Shabaab has uh, attacked, the ethnic Somalis have been profiled. Many Somalis who live in an estate called Isili were arrested and taken to a camp in the town. And we did protest that that was very, very unfair. But many would say your protests ring hollow, given that the war started on your watch and the backlash started on your watch. Not it all flows from the initial intervention. At our time, we did not profile ethnic Somalis in Kenya at all. They are Kenyans, and it is the responsibility of every government to protect the lives and property of its citizens. Do you believe this government is doing that, the current Kenyan uh, government? I, I don't think so. I think that um, somehow they are discriminating the ethnic Somalis okay. uh, and Muslims, I, I think, and, and, and that is not right. Let's go back to our, our panel. Um, Pasalalo Kantai is a Kenyan investigative journalist, editor of The New African, a former contributor to the Financial Times. Uh, what do you make of Raila Odinga's decision to support the war in Somalia then and his talk about exiting now? I've never understood um, not so much why the government, the Grand Coalition government chose to go into Somalia, but how they did it. Going into Somalia in the way that they went in in 2011, um, has obviously created a huge dilemma for the government right now. Okay. Uh, but uh, um, there's, there's, there's another question, which is the fact that many young Kenyans from you know, what we can call southern Kenya, um, who were born Christians, okay. um, have, have converted to Islam and are converting to Islam and joining Al-Shabaab. And the question is why? Agnes Gitao is an advisor on trade and investment for East Africa, regular commentator on African politics, economics. Uh, Agnes, was the decision to go to war against al-Shabaab a rush decision? Has it clearly backfired in your view? There was a need to go to Somalia then, but I want to clarify Kenya is not at war with Somalia. Somalia is a strategic partner for Kenya, and a stable Somalia means a stable Kenya. Was there a rush? Maybe there was at that time, but it's it's clear that our mission has been successful. Mogadishu is fairly stable now. We are you think there. Nine times as many terrorist attacks after the intervention That's as before. The, so we need successful? now to focus. It's been successful for Somalia, but not for Kenya, unfortunately. Kenya has paid the price, but it's now our time to ensure that we have a plan with the blessing of the AU to exit Somalia at the right time. Okay. I think many Somalis would say they've paid the price uh, even more. Nick Cheeseman is Associate Professor uh, of Politics, African Politics at the Africa Studies Centre here at Oxford University. Um, Nick, 
In terms of communal ethnic violence directed at Somalis or Muslims more broadly as a result of the Al-Shabaab intervention, where do you stand on that? I think it's something that we, we haven't seen so much of historically in Kenya. One of the things that is worrying if you look at the survey data over the last 10 years is there is an increasingly distinctive set of voting patterns that split along religious lines as well as ethnic lines. And one of the things that we know is that many of the Muslim communities of Kenya live in areas that are also historically marginalized. And so there's an overlap between economic marginalization and being a part of a religious minority. And that's a dangerous combination. There's a big role for his party to play here, if they can, in bringing people together into a national party and preventing that kind of political fragmentation. Rilo Dinger, before we go to our audience, um, you once claimed, I've got to ask you this question, you once claimed you were first cousins with President Barack Obama. <laughs> You're not, though, are you? I, 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 I never did claim that I was... You told the BBC's World Today in January 2008 that Obama's father was your maternal uncle. Yes, by extension, yes, because... But Obama's uncle says, no, Mr Odinga is not a blood relative. I'm not. I'm not. But my mother and, Obama, and Obama's father come from the same clan. OK, so That's it's a tribal not, relationship, yes. not a blood relationship. No, no, no. OK, just sticking with Obama very briefly, when he visited Kenya last summer, he criticised Kenya's record on gay rights. Um, homosexual relations are illegal in Kenya. Do you still believe uh, gay couples found engaging in homosexual acts should be arrested, as you said, in 2010? No, I, I would say that uh, this is a, a matter of choice. Uh, and, and therefore, um, if people... You know, it is not uh, African, but uh, you would say that uh, people are, are, are allowed and are free. But you no, said they should be arrested if they're caught in the middle of an no, act. No, 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 no. That was caught on tape I was saying that. Quoted out of context. It's always out of context. I am. I was addressing a rally in my constituency. Okay. Ibira. So just to be clear, you don't think gay couples in Kenya should be arrested? No, 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 no. Uh, they didn't say. I, I didn't say they should be arrested. They said. Would you arrest gay couples as president of Kenya? I have much more important things to deal with. That's not an answer that, to my that, question. Arresting. So you're not, you're, not, you're not confirming or denying whether you're going to arrest gay couples if you're president? Uh, no, the answer is no. That's what I'm telling no. you. No, OK, we finally got to a no. OK, let's go to our audience who've been patiently waiting here in the Oxford Union. We've discussed uh, elections, vote rigging, violence, corruption. We've talked about the war uh, in Somalia against al-Shabaab. Who'd like to make some points, ask some questions and briefly? We'll go to, go to this lady in the third row. Uh, Mr Odinga, um, security is about the most important thing in Africa. And terrorists thrive on division. They thrive on national conflicts. Are you not better off um, combining with the current government, having a cohesive approach in actually tackling terrorism? I have always said each time there has been a terrorist attack, the first person I've called or who has called me is the president. And each time we have given him an assurance that at times like this, there's no government or opposition. We all turn together as Kenyans to deal with this. So we are united in as far as the issue of fighting terrorism is concerned. There's no conflict about that. But aside from that, you need to know that uh, we are a country, there's a role for government, a role for opposition. And I do believe that as the leader of the opposition, I'm playing my role very effectively in by the UK standards. OK, let's go back to the audience. Let's go. Let's go to the lady at the front, and then we'll go to the gentleman right at the back. You were an MP for Kibera for 20 years. This is 
known as one of the biggest slums in Africa. It still doesn't have vital facilities such as clean waters and toilets. Why didn't you manage to change things there as both an MP and Prime Minister? And if you can't sort out your own constituency, can you really govern the whole of Kenya? Thank you. Very good question. So Prime Minister was, was five years, and I did start slum upgrading program. The only slum upgrading program that exists in Kibera was started by me. So I did something when I was in government. I could not do anything much when I was in the opposition. But we started other projects right there, like we started building proper toilets in the, the area. We brought water in, into Kibera at that, that time. So, and, and we also started road construction. Okay, so, let's go back to the audience. I promised that gentleman right at the back. With the collapse of the ICC case, is there a role for ICC in Africa going forward, given that the AU were actually working against uh, the success of ICC? The AU and, 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 and ICC, I said, it is a hypocritical relationship. The AU are not being honest with themselves because they are saying that ICC targets African leaders. And I've said it's hogwash. Nothing could be further from the truth. Most of the African leaders who are before the ICC have been referred there by Africans themselves. Will you be sending Kenyans, Kenyans. to The Hague when you're president? Uh, ask, me, if you ask me, when I come to power, I will set up a local tribunal which was recommended by the, the Waki Commission to try to investigate and try those who are guilty okay. of, 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 of uh, Let's go criminal. to the gentleman in the third row and then I'll come to the lady in the second row. Do you want to wait for the microphone to come to you? Uh, I want to ask a question about press freedom. Last year, 65 journalists in Kenya were violently assaulted. One was murdered, an editor, brave editor. You, as a champion of democracy, if you were returned to power, what would you do to reverse this deteriorating press freedom situation in your country? The freedom of, of the press is something that we, we have fought so hard to achieve in Kenya. Because there were times when journalists were being arrested and taken to detention. Unfortunately, the current Jubilee government does not believe in the freedom of express. Senior reporters are being sacked right now merely because they are writing articles which are critical of the government. If I come to power, I will ensure that we restore the freedom of the media in the country. Okay, the... I promised this lady here in the second row and then I want to go back to the back. I'm quite ashamed to admit that as a Kenyan, um, it is a very tribal country. And if you came into power, do you think that you would do some miracle in such a way that Akikuyu would be able to vote for a Luo and a Luo would be able to vote for Akikuyu? Just, just for the purpose of our global audience, you are a Luo politician and the president is a Kikuyu politician. Yes, yes, certainly. But look at it this way. Just look at the history. It has never always been like that. When Kenyatta was, the, the first Kenyatta, Jomo Kenyatta, was imprisoned, my father, who was a Luo, Ogingo Dinga, led the, the campaign for release of Kenyatta. In 2002, I myself came up and said, Kibaki Tosha. Kibaki is a Kikuyu with whom we are still together. 
And I stood up and said, we must support Mr. Kibaki as the candidate. And I'm a Luo. I went and campaigned, and the Luo supported to Kibaki 98.5% to Kibaki. The the, the, of the three, just to be clear, of the three presidents Kenya has had, um, the Luos have never had a president of Kenya, correct me if I'm wrong. Do you believe that's a deliberate thing that's been done to your train? No, uh, it is relative, because uh, Kenya is only 53 years. So, and Kenya has got 42 different tribes. So, uh, it's not only the Luos who have not had the president. Well, Kalenjin has had a president, Daniel Arap Moy, mm. and the Kikuyu. Uh, I'm just wondering if you believe that's a deliberate targeting of your tribe. Kikuyu, Kalenjin, and uh, another Kikuyu, and now they are talking about another Kalenjin. But I'm just saying... The <laughs> <laughs> yeah. global audience is hard to keep up. But it's a very good question there. I'm glad you raised the subject. Um, let's go... To, I said I'd go back to the audience there. Gentleman in the middle there. A quick question. Um, Mr Dinga, you have been very critical of uh, African presidents who have refused uh, to ob basically obey the, the presidential terms. And yet in 2010, you appeared uh, to campaign for Yoweri Museveni. I'm just wondering whether that uh, incident uh, basically uh, compromised uh, your ideal and your message uh, on uh, criticizing African leaders. It was a leaders. double standard campaigning for the exactly. Ugandan president. Exactly. No, uh, actually, I did not campaign for Yoweri Museveni. I just uh, joined him in the campaign. And the man, man. That's a real technical difference. I did not campaign for him, but I joined him on his campaign. And, okay. and, uh, I, I was basically using it to address the Ugandan people, because uh, I don't choose the leaders for, for other African countries, Uganda in, included. But I have been very strong on the issue of respect for term limits. And uh, I've been also very critical of President Museveni uh, as well. Okay, uh, lady there, do you want to wait for the microphone to come to you? Thank you. Mr. Odinga, do you feel that corruption has impeded efforts by the Kenyan government to fight al-Shabaab and make Kenyans safer? And if so, what would you do differently to tackle corruption in the security sector? The security sector requires reform so that you can deal with this issue of corruption, to reform the police and make it a truly a people's police. The same thing also with uh, the, the military. We want to first improve the living conditions of the security forces, the remuneration, the housing, and also the, 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 the character, so that we can, it can be an effective force in fighting okay. terrorism. OK, I want to go to this gentleman there in the back. Yes, with the hat, he's been waiting a while, he's waving. I campaigned for you more than anybody in London here in 2007. Yes. Uh, and I wrote to you asking you to work with the Kikuyus. You refused to work with the Kikuyus. Now it would be somewhere else. Are you going to work with the Kikuyus? <laughs> did, you, did you say, gentlemen, did you say you campaigned for Raleigh in 2007? I campaigned for him. He's my brother-in-law. Okay. I campaigned in 2007. <laughs> Could be an awkward family reunion I, later. I, I, uh, are you going to work with the Kikuyus? The, the thing is, I, I work with so many Kikuyus. One of my legal advisors is a Paul Mwangi. He's a Kikuyu. Uh, I've got so many Kikuyus working for me. It is that the Kikuyus have not voted for me because basically there is this uh, propaganda that is being spread by ethnic chauvinists to keep them away from me. Hello. Okay. Okay, hold on, hold on. I need to take the next question. Lady here. People of my age, when we grew up, Raira was the man. We all, you are our hero. But it looks like that name is going. Do you think it's wise putting the presidential bid aside and becoming an African 
uh, advisor on leadership and politics. Don't you think there is a Nelson Mandela in you? I'm not sure. Thank you, thank you very much, my To be fair, sister. Nelson Mandela became president first. Yes, before he passed. <laughs> just, just for the record. I could do better, yes, answer. Okay, so once you're president, <laughs> then you're going to take over. Gentlemen there in the third row, yes, I promise. Yes, in the grey suit, yes, you. Yep. you we are it? talking here about corruption and insecurity and all other things. But as you and I know, Kenya is becoming more and more stratified as a society along the lines of those who can afford their security, i.e. shelter, food, and safety. If you happen to decide to run in 2017 and you win, what would you do to reverse this trend? It is true that Kenya is one of the most unequal societies that the gap between the haves and the have not is, is very huge. Uh, and that's the reason why we are saying that, you know, our policy, we are saying we are a social democratic movement and we are going to address the issue of distribution of wealth or resources and opportunity in the country to ensure that there is some kind of equity. Okay, let's take one last question at the back there. Yes, gentleman there in the middle. Ahead of 2017, um, there's growing factionalism within CORD, the coalition that you're a part of. How, what is your strategy to overcome this to ensure that you have enough votes in the election? I don't think that there's discord in CORD. CORD is, is fairly united. Uh, what we were talking about is who is going to be a candidate and the people are declaring. That, in my view, is democracy. So, I, like I said, I don't want to impose myself on the people. Only when the people want me is when I will be a candidate. A lot of outside observers look at Kenyan politics and sometimes get a bit confused because there seems to be always a shifting alliances. One minute you're with William Ruto, one minute you're not. Everyone swaps from time. From one election to another, you choose different allies. Many would say if you had underlying principles and ideologies, you wouldn't be able to just shift partners all the time no, no, in no. a quite cynical way. You see, they say that politics makes of very strange bedfellows. You know, Mandela could not have worked yeah, but together. the same bedfellows, some might say. I'm saying Mandela could not have worked with the de, de, de Clark, who represented the regime that had taken him to, to prison. So there is what you call strategic alliances, which and you make, and the rest are tactics. One, one last question. You stood against Uhuru Kenyatta in 2013. Mm. You're hoping to stand against him again in 2017. His father was the very first president uh, of Kenya, and your father was his vice president, the mm. first vice president of Kenya. Fifty years later, two sons are fighting over the presidency. Isn't it time for Kenya and for Kenyan politics to move beyond these two political dynasties of the Kenyatas <laughs> and the Odingas and have some fresh faces? Some new names, some fresh faces at the top. Isn't it time? How I would love to, to see that happen. I think the decision, as the Kenyans, the decision is not Uhuru's or Raila's. Well, you could both step aside. No. <laughs> the, the, the Kenyans can well shunt us aside. Okay. So it is not Raila Odinga imposing himself on the people. It's the people who will vote for Raila Odinga because of what Raila Odinga represents. And that's my view. It's an exercise in democracy. And on that note... We're going to have to leave it there. Rilo Dinga, thanks for joining me on Head to Head. Thanks to, our... thanks to our audience here in the Oxford Union. Thanks to our panel of experts. Uh, thanks for watching at home. This debate will continue. Head to Head will be back next week. Thank you. Thank you. You can stay. You're great. <laughs>